Hey. There we go. So that's what yeah, it was. Yeah, that's what it was all that time. Okay. 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 Well, <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, no worries. We can jump right into this then. So, okay. Welcome. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. You can hear me? Oh, fantastic, brother. How you doing? I'm doing great. So, welcome to the podcast. So, Thank you, sir. Uh, if you can see, it's called Word for Your Walk. So, I love it. Let's I jump right it. in, if you don't mind. So, for Not the at all. Not at all. For the benefit of my listeners, can you just let everyone know who you are, occupation, and how do you know me? So, Brother Joris, take it away. I can. Well, first of all, uh, let me just say for the benefit of our listening audience, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is George Torbert, and I'm a happy husband in 36 years. I think it's 36 years. Um, and then we got married in 1987, so my math might be a little bad. Happy husband, fortunate father. Of four amazing kids and a grateful grandfather of three energetic, incredible grandsons. Uh, live and work in Maryland. Uh, I work as a, an addiction recovery nurse. Um, just blessed and fortunate to be able to uh, do ministry that way. And uh, my wife and I, we retired from the military back in 20, year, uh, 20 years ago. I always tell folks more than 20 years now. It's back in 2003. And I tell folks that when you're in the military, your entire family's in the military. And so I want to honor her and recognizing that I could not have done what I did for those 20 years without her. Um, and uh, it feels like it was just yesterday. As far as you and I, we met uh, through a local church uh, where I continue to be an elder at Riverside Church. Uh, I remember uh, just from the very beginning, uh, the impact that you made uh, on all of the men there, in particular, our younger men. And uh, I think that's one of the things that God has called you to do. Um, it just takes a very special kind of person to minister to youth. It takes a special kind of person to minister to uh, to men. And uh, I just think it's it's awesome that God has given you the opportunity to be able to minister to both. And so uh, you're unique, un uniquely qualified for that. And so that's how we met. And uh, I just want to honor you for that, sir. Well, well, thank you, Brother George. You can't see me, but I'm blushing awful purple over here. <laughs> so, so I thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Uh, bless my audience with the intro. So I'm in the podcast space now. So uh, what I decided to do with this podcast is try to remove the celebrity, um, remove the, uh, the idea of trying to have got you moments, and I think that a lot of people, young and old, would just like to have real down-to-earth conversations about just the faith, where we are. And so I've decided to interview everyday folk because I think that that's uh, the grassroots, the foundation, uh, the work of the ministry. Whether you're in ministry as a professional, in ministry as a volunteer, or just recently saved and just trying to figure out. So that's where I'm at. So you're my first guest. Amen. So, yeah, so I figured, who else could I talk to but Brother George? Yeah, so, and you know, and, and I love that because I think that uh, you and I have talked about this. Uh, I think we have to get away from the celebrity of Christianity and recognize that there's only one face of Christianity. Uh, that's Jesus Christ. And so uh, everyone else, you know, we're nameless and we're faceless, but we're honored to be a, be a part of his body. Amen. Amen to that, sir. Well, I'll tell you what, Brother George, so you've been walking this thing a long time, so I'm going to jump right in. Could, sure. you, could you just tell me in your own words exactly why are you a Christian? And the second part is, um, what is your experience 
uh, believing while black. I know that's a lot, but uh, I'm not. I think I'm anxious to hear what she has to say. Yeah, I love this question. I remember um, um, thinking about this before. Uh, I can remember just being in a particularly surly mood one day. I was in a really bad mood, and and uh, I think I was praying to the Lord at the time, probably more like complaining. Um, so Hebrews eleven fifteen came to mind, uh, and and in, in it it talks about the men and women of the Hall of Faith. Um, really, nothing. Uh, spectacular about any of these individuals. The Lord allowed us to see all of their flaws and shortcomings. Really, the most amazing thing about them was their incredible faith in God. Uh, but the Bible says in Hebrews eleven fifteen, it says, uh, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. And then this statement came to me. It says, you can always walk out of the door that you came through. You know, and the Lord had to remind me that Christianity is voluntary, man. You know, mm. I'm not doing Jesus a favor. He did me a favor. Come on. Yeah. And we have to approach it that way. And, and you know, one of the reasons that, that I was in a bad mood is because I kind of felt like there was an obligation that God had to me that he wasn't fulfilling some promise. And, and he made no apology for the state of my life at that time. He just wanted to remind me that there was nobody making me live safe. Mm. You know, and that I had every opportunity to walk back out of the door that he allowed me to walk in. And so the door was open and I was fortunate enough uh, to be able to walk through that door. Mm. And uh, I just had to get a hold of myself and realize that that, you know, it's a gift, man. This is a gift. I'm on a great scholarship, Dave. Come on. <laughs> you know, yes. I'm on a great scholarship, you know, and, and it's fully paid for. You know, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I just kind of had to snap out of it that day. Sometimes we get to being saved so long that, that we forget, you know, that it's by grace we're saved. Yeah. You know, not of works. There isn't anything that I've done to merit it. And I can't start behaving like God owes me. And so, um, yeah, that's the thing that, that uh, um, you know, that spoke to me that day. And I will tell you, man, I have not had a bad day since. Because I remind myself every single day, I'm on a great scholarship. It's generally generously provided by God the Father through the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Ooh, you know I'm still in there, right? I'm on a great yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, brother. I'm gonna wear that out to the wheels fall off. I'm on a great scholarship. Come on now. (laughs) Ooh, well, tell you what, man. So um, the next part of my question was, um, what is your experience? in believing while black. And I'm throwing that out there because um, I spent a lot of time recently, last couple of years, in the apologetic space, right. trying to explain to brothers of all generations that the Christian faith is not a white man's religion, nor is it an Afrocentric religion, but is a multitude of all people that came unto the Lord. And so to avoid having a debate, I'm just trying to unpack the cultural expression of being black and the Christian is unique and it's wonderful, but sometimes it's hard to articulate that without getting into these yucky conversations. So what is your experience uh, believing while black? It is. And I love what you talked about. You know, the Bible talks about the kingdom of God uh, being um, like a fisherman who gathered fish of every type, you know, and every sort. And, um, 
you know, the Bible actually embraces our racial and our cultural differences. And I think that we get in trouble uh, when, you know, we try to uh, pretend as if those things do not exist. Mm. And, um, you know, we have to understand that we don't have to feel comfortable. We don't have to feel uncomfortable uh, talking about uh, our differences. You know, we understand that we have one denominator, one common denominator, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, um, he is is the one that ties us all together. He's the one thing that that, that we have in common, the one thing that makes us all family. Uh, but, uh, you know, my black experience uh, is something that I can bring to the church today. And, you know, I just remember what it was like growing up uh, in the black church, um, you know, and I do know that there are some pros and cons. Uh, one of the things, uh, let me just deal with the one thing, uh, and this might be a little controversial. I'll deal with the one thing um, that uh, if I have a, a, a particular criticism for the uniquely black church that I grew up in, um, it would be this, uh, because I have a lot of positives for it. Uh, and that would be um, that I would say that it's largely responsible for me being apolitical. I have very little use for politicians today. Mm. Um, and uh, and that's really because I found that they would they were they were deified and, and, and lionized in the black church. Generally showed up right around Election Day. Come on. Um, and uh, they were um, uh, in, in, in most cases. uh Honored uh, for um, uh, uh, for things that were really unknown to me, and I thought they they uh, were probably fine men and women, uh, but they were people where I did not see any impact that they were making in my community. Actually, I saw just the opposite. So when they showed up, I knew who to blame, you know, for the for the state of my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, <laughs> Woo, yeah, high so, time, high seat time. <laughs> Yes, but yeah, so that's that's the joker that I had to blame, you know, for for our swing sets in the playgrounds where the half of it, one side is connected and the other side's hitting the ground, mm. you know, uh, you know, but but I thought that that you know to James's point, um, they were given given uh, lofty seats and they were given undue honor, and um, it's part of the reason that you know that I'm apolitical today. I I just I I don't want the body of Christ uh, to look to a politician, you know, as, as, uh, as a savior. I, I really believe that that's lazy. If I can be honest with you, I think that when we start looking to politicians to do what the church is supposed to be doing, uh, you know, we are derelict in our duty. Uh, we're, we're abandoning our calling when we're asking them to do for us what God has called us to do as, as a body of Christ. But having said that, a lot of good things came out of the black church. Uh, the response of reading, I was in an atmosphere where, uh, you know, uh, I was around highly intelligent, highly intelligent men, uh, black clergy. I mean, they use $26 words. It's probably they're largely responsible for, for my vernacular. It's one of the reasons that, that, uh, even as a child, I didn't use profanity. I didn't curse because of the types of men that I got the opportunity to hang out with. Um, and, and the most valuable lesson that I learned growing up in the black church is I learned to spot the Christians. Mm. I knew the Christians. Uh, and that's because of uh, when we would do the responsive readings and we do the Sunday school, there were men and women. And, and the Bible says even a child is known by his going, by his doings, whether his work is, whether his work is right, whether it's pure. 
And I would read the scriptures in Sunday school and I would see people uh, that were living, living epistles of those scriptures. And so I could always spot the Christians. And I'm not going to tell you about me being able to spot the unbelievers, but I knew that there, were, I knew that there was a distinction, even though they were all in the same space and they were all in the same room. I recognized very early that not everyone in this building Sunday morning is a Christian. Mm. And so that was one of the things that I was able to carry away uh, with me. And so, uh, you know, whether we're talking about coming this far by faith or the responsive reading, you know, or so many other things that, that I drew from that experience, I believe that that, that is something that the, the Lord wants me to to share. Really, everything that, that, that I share, everything that I teach, everything that I preach, you know, comes from uh, the roots of uh, of that black church experience. And I recognize that there are people that have a Latino church. They've got an Asian church. They've got a, a, an Anglo-Saxon church experience uh, to marry all of those things together. Absolutely. Well, I'm just, uh, I'm soaking on the sin because uh, not to steal from your response, but I, uh, I too can give some positives and some, uh, could do a little better when it comes to the black church or which I hate the term black church, but I appreciate the necessity of the black church. Right, um, right. I think that what I'll segue into is based on your experiences in, in a couple of churches, what is the most challenging part for you being a church leader and being elder can't be simple. So what is, if you could put it in the simple terms, the most challenging part of being a church leader? Uh, for me, the most pointing everyone to the lamb of God. That's okay. that's the most challenging part because again, you have to get away from the temptation for notoriety mm. and you have to point everyone to the lamb of God. You know, one of the things that I respect so much about John the Baptist is that when they came asking him, you know, well, who are you? He said, well, don't be concerned with who I am. You know, you need to be you need more. You need to be more concerned with the message than the man. Mm. And, you know, one of the things that that, uh, you know, the ministry can do is that ministry can give you notoriety and acclaim. And you just have to be careful to lay those things back down to the feet of Christ. Just make sure that 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 you are constantly pointing everyone to the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. See, He can do what I cannot do. I cannot take away your sins, uh, and and I cannot I cannot present you spotless before the Father. And so I can get in the way of the one that can do it. And so the most challenging part is is constantly, and you want to do it in a way. It's it's difficult because uh, very often. You know, people are going to come to you and they're going to say, you know, Dave, that was a that was a great message. That was a great de devotional. You know, good brother, you are so blessed. And, and you want to you want to balance that. You know, you don't want to come across as being pseudo humble, but you just want to you, you want to recognize God at, at every opportunity. And just, you know, you don't want people to become enamored with you and, and you want them to understand that there isn't anything that you possess uh, that is not a gift from heaven. Mm. I am so glad you said that last part because I can absolutely um, agree with that. Um, I write a few devotionals from time to time, and uh, I have received uh, what people say, thank you, what have you. And and I, I always try to figure out why folks don't 
read the scriptures I share or a sermon to hear from their favorite pastor or a word from their elder and go right to the Bible. Can you, with your experience, explain why some people or the saints become more enamored with the man and his message instead of the originator? Can you do that? I can. And that's, that's an excellent question. The principal reason for it uh, is, is because uh, they are actually worshiping your devotion. Mm. Yeah. And, mm. and there, there, yeah, there, there has to be, you know, when you talk about the kingdom of God, you know, fellowship is when, um, when my intimacy with God is married with your intimacy with God. So we're not just together. We're not together talking about the Seahawks and the Cleveland Browns. You know, <laughs> you know uh, I'm very interested in what the, in what the Lord is sharing with you. Um, but there needs to be an, an equal interest in what the Lord is sharing with me, because very often um, there are things that, and I, and I understand this. Let me just preface this by saying that if every time I, I go into devotion, um, let's just say for the sake of, because I, I see this in ministries where every week it's every week, the same person shows up and he's got a word for the leader. And if I spent that much time with Christ and every time I was with the Lord, he wanted to talk about you, David, mm. I would begin to get a little offended. Uh, come on. Say that. Yeah. I, I, I would begin to get a little jealous. You know, I said, you know, I can give you David's address, Lord, if you want to go talk to him, you know? <laughs> um, and so that's one of the things that I find interesting is that there are those occasions where, on every occasion that that individual and, I, and when I pastored, you know, there's every week. And at some point I'm thinking, well, you know, you got to be a little taken aback by the fact that every time you go into prayer, God wants to talk about me, mm. you know, but when it comes to, to the, the fellowship, yeah, that's, that's, that's my time with the Lord. And there may be something that he was sharing with me. That might benefit you, and there's something that I totally get that 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 that's your time with the Lord. And when there's when there's something He's speaking to you, uh, that kind of intertwines with what He says to me. That's a beautiful moment, man. That is I'm a beautiful so, moment. Oh man, it, it really is. I had to yeah. ask that question because um, because you, otherwise, otherwise I'm siphoning your devotion, mm. and I and I can only get so far with that during the day, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm siphoning from your devotion, you know, and I'm going to I'm going to try to live my day, you know, based off off based based uh, off what I can siphon from your devotion. And you're not going to have a victorious day. You're going to mm. struggle. Yep. Wow. Ooh. I got it. I'm trying to stay on. Trying to stay, <laughs> I'm trying to stay on track because I want to ask. I'm, I'm lot, getting excited but, as well, brother. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna respect it, and I'm gonna leave some time. I don't want to take up too much of your time. But I just want to make sure that um, I get through some other questions. But we're gonna have to revisit a couple of these because I'm about to run around the room here in a second. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm gonna ask you then, in your opinion, and this is my question. So correct me if I'm wrong. What is the American church doing wrong? If that's the correct question. No, I, I think, I, you know, I think that, that um, a lot of different ways to phrase it. Um, I think we can all see that there's something that's not right. Um, you know, the Bible says that, that 
you'll know them by their fruits. Right. And, um, you know, there's something that, that one of the uh, elders at our church uh, says all the time that I wholeheartedly agree with. Healthy things grow. And um, they're fruitful. They produce fruit. Um, I would say just, and this is my perspective, um, Matthew 5, 514, he comes to mind. The Bible says, um, you know, that um, men don't light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And, um, you know, with that in mind, um, that light impacts everything around it. And I believe for me, uh, and again, this is just my perspective, I would say we are indifferent to our lost influence. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that there's I think a... yeah, I think I think that yeah, go ahead. What were you gonna say? <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah, there. You, yeah, you can you can jump right into that. There's a lot there, you know. The fact that not only are we concerned about being able to motivate or inspire or lead people to bear fruit, I wonder if we recognize fruit anymore. Right. You know, um, there are a lot of people that self-proclaim themselves as fruit inspectors. (laughs) And I wonder often if they really appreciate what fruit we're talking about here. Exactly. Exactly. You know, the fruit of the spirit, um, it's personal first, right? And then from that, and it's the it's fruit singular, all the manifestations of that come from it. And I think when we read the word, sometimes we try to add an S to things and it's fruit, you know, and I was trying to, I was having this conversation with somebody and I said, it's not one thing, it's everything. Right. Right. All the different manifestations, fruit of the spirit come from the fruit of that. So mm, I um I'm trying to wrap my head around this question. So when I ask what is the American church doing wrong, I uh I can't run away from this this one question I was hesitant to ask, I'm gonna ask anyway. Can you think of a reason why denominations still matter? Oh, wow. Um, I know that's a lot. It is. <laughs> and, I, and I guess I would have to go back to, I think that there's merit in it, but I will be, uh, I believe so. And again, this is my perspective. Um, so, and I've shared this with others. Um, I believe, I believe uh, the spirit of God moves. Uh, he does something amazing. And uh, men erect a monument to it. And the denomination is formed. Mm. I believe that 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 uh, that occurs, um, and this is why. I mean, we have so many denominations and growing. You know, right? I mean, we have so many different different iterations of of a Baptist. So there's Southern Baptists, there's Free Will Baptists, there's Missionary Baptists, Full Gospel Baptists. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's Baptist Baptists now. <laughs> you know, the latest I heard was charismatic Baptist. Charismatic Baptist. I ain't gonna touch that one. I'm not right, gonna touch that. Right, right, right. And I just so. think, you know, um, you know, the the tendency is to want to keep God in that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and 
Um, every denomination is under the impression that they've cornered the market, you know, on, on understanding his ways are, are, are beyond understanding. They're beyond, they're beyond figuring out as the Bible says, you know, and, and, um, What's amazing is he's able to work within the confines of a denomination because we say to the Lord, okay, this is who you are. You are church of God in Christ and, and, uh, you are, uh, Presbyterian, you know, you are, uh, Methodist. Um, and I just think the great, great men and women of the faith that, that God worked through and he, and there were amazing moves of God and, um, and what routinely happens is that there is someone that shows up and they want to own that move of God and they want to make it their own. Um, and when I create a denomination, then I get to decide who I, I, I determine uh, who gets to enter it. Uh, I can establish my own ordinances and, and my own rules. And um, I just think that uh, to your point, I believe that, that, um, you know, there is some value in it. Um, but I, I have to, you know, uh, you know, even though our ministry is part of the denomination, we're part of Church of God. And, and so I don't want to speak out of turn. I would just say that um, it's just um, it's important not to confine God uh, to something that he's done. There's there's usually an origin and uh, there's a there is a move of God uh, that began the Methodist Church. And um, people were under the impression that they needed to build a monument, which is now the which is which is now the Methodist denomination. Right. I, just, I just believe you just embrace what God's doing in that moment, and and don't try to don't try to own that moment. Don't try to don't try to. Uh, um, I'll leave it at that. Don't try to own it. I think that's where we get into trouble, and I think that's where we have so many denominations. You know, right now, so many and growing. So right. Um, I don't, yeah. I don't really know. I don't know if I really adequately answered that. No, question. I, <laughs> it's, it's okay. You did your best. That's the question yeah, I'm throwing yeah. at people. I, I think, uh, I think, I think the answer is just as convoluted as the question, because to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you, uh, you know, you know, I cannot wholeheartedly say that there is no value in it because I'm a Christian now, you know, right. and I grew up in a Baptist church. And so I will say is that even though we try to confine God, here's my answer. Even though we try to confine God, uh, God cannot be confined even within our denominations. Fair. That's my answer. That, that's fair. <laughs> you you did good, brother. You did Thank good. You. That, Thank that, you. That, I Thank snuck you. that one on you. Thank you. I, I think when I ask this question, I'm always thinking about um, John 17, 21. Uh, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us, so the world will believe you sent me. I think that with, when I think of denomination, I think of a part. And if how are we ever going to come to unity if we're divided? Right, and, right. And so I just, as long as we unify in the message and the end goal, um, I guess it doesn't matter how we get there, right? There's a thousand roads to Jesus, only one way to God, and right. that's through him. So as right. long as we don't put us over him, I guess it would be all right. Right. So, and, so and, I, yeah, and I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think that, that that is in a nutshell. I think that that um, yeah, we have to celebrate, you know, uh, you know, what we have in common and we, we can't, you know, get caught up on, uh, in Jesus name versus father, son, and Holy spirit. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> you nailed it. Right. Cool. Well, now I'm going to jump into 
the nitty gritty. Sure. Okay, it's, con- it's controversy time. I'm gonna have to. Go okay, ahead. I'm ready. All ready. right. So, <laughs> do, so do you have an opinion on why there seems to be a never-ending slew of pastors and church leaders with sexual sin addictions, sexual ethics challenges, strongholds? Um, it just seems like I don't know if it's just being reported more. And the other question is, should they ever return to ministry? And I'm going to give my own testimony here. Sure, sure. After, because I want to talk about this. It's personal to me. So um, so what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, in terms of, I'll start with the, with the second question first. So mm-hmm. in terms of whether or not uh, they should return to ministry, um, I would say that, um, the priority for me would, would be the restoration of their fellowship with Christ. And, um, I believe that, um, you know, that's gotta be decided between them and the Lord, but that's where it has to begin. It, it can't begin with, um, with respect with, with elders or deacons, uh, uh, voting someone back in or determine that they're determining that they have been restored. I believe that if you're, if, if, the sexual sin says that there is something to miss, that there is something that your relationship with Christ is out of sorts and uh, more important than the office and the title that you hold. You need to be very careful that you don't lose the one person that matters most. And so, um, you know, work on finding out what, what went wrong with that relationship, you know, uh, work work on on pursuing his face and allowing the Lord to repair the hedge uh, that's been broken that allowed that to, that doesn't occur overnight. Uh, that's not something uh, that happens in a moment. Uh, you know, generally uh, you are um, either moving, uh, you're progressing or you are regressing. And so um, this is why, uh, we have to fight the good fight of faith. We can never yield any ground. We can't give up any ground. The Bible talks about how a little leaven, you know, leavens the entire lump. All it takes is a little bit of yeast. And it begins with a little compromise. Uh, but that little bit of compromise can, it can really uh, begin to to influence uh, how you live your life as a Christian. Because um, you begin to tell yourself that things that were formerly not okay are not okay. And you you have to recognize uh, that what's really wrong uh, is that there is something in your relationship, in your fellowship uh, with the Lord that is not right. So it always has to begin there. You can appreciate men and women, uh, you know, determining that you are now ready and you are now fit to return to the pulpit. But what's more important than returning to the pulpit is returning to uh, to communion and, and getting that relationship right. Um, Paul said, what would it matter? You know, I mean, I keep my body under less after preaching to everyone else. I myself become a castaway. I'm a fraud. I'm a fake. I'm a phony. I'm a poser. Uh, I'm living one way publicly, but I'm living another way privately. And so um, my whole relationship with Christ is a sham. And I think that has to be addressed first. And so where ministry is concerned, uh, and I recognize that there are men and women, to your point, uh, 
So I, I, I figured I could answer this question best by beginning at the end and working my way, working my way uh, back to the first question. You, know, sure. you have to ask yourself what went wrong. Um, you know, what was taking place uh, that uh, allowed uh, for this temptation to enter into your life to begin with? It's not something you were vulnerable to five years ago or 10 years ago. And quite honestly, if you uh, have been sleeping around and messing with women uh, uh, from the from the moment uh, you began ministry, uh, then you sir are not a Christian to begin with. Let me just call you out. Um, yeah, there, there is. Uh, you have to have a heart for God, and um, you know, Saul was only concerned uh, about his position. He was only concerned about about um, how he looked in front of everyone else. He didn't have a heart after God. Uh, mm -hmm. David was concerned about restoring the relationship, and although David's David's um, to look at it, you know, uh, what he did was more egregious and, um, he took a man's life and, uh, and then he involved government officials in a cover up. Um, so he would be impeached if he was president of the United States today, but having said <laughs> maybe. that, yeah. <laughs> maybe, yeah, perhaps, perhaps, yeah. <laughs> perhaps I shouldn't even got into that, perhaps, <laughs> you know, but, 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 uh, but he had a heart after God. I mean, and and um, he was able to return to the one relationship that mattered most. And so, you know, that I believe that 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 depends upon the individual. Uh, my answer would be you shouldn't be restored to ministry if the only thing that you're concerned with is ministry. Um, uh, yes. And that's and that's a once again, it's a long answer to a very short question. You know, but I'm more concerned with, you know, what you have a heart after. You know, if you have a heart after God, uh, then um, then you recognize that there are some things that are more important uh, than the pulpit. And there are some things that are more important than the title. And you're willing to give all those things up to be able to, to retain Christ. Uh, but, yeah, if, if, if the only thing you're concerned with is a, is a ministry, then you're, then you're not worthy to be in office to begin with. Mm. I think that's a nice big period. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that works. Um, all I can say is that God is at work when the minister's sin is exposed. Exposure is a sovereign act of God. Amen. God's way is not our way is Isaiah 55 and 8, right? So um, I hear I, I hear, and I receive, and uh, I got a story. I'm going to give my testimony probably another episode. But I have been there and back, and I can tell people um, uh, what that looks like and what it's not supposed to look like. And uh, houses of worship who are not confronting those with ethical moral failures right. are enabling are enabling that sin. Amen. So, Amen. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put a, a I'm gonna put a cap in that one right there. Amen. Yeah, I mean, go back to First Samuel uh, chapter fifteen, verse thirty. I just pull that up you know mm -hmm. Saul was like hey just well walk back with me <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, so I don't lose face in front of all the people mm -hmm. I don't want to look bad yeah he's yeah. concerned you know I will say this I will say this now I am because the Lord and I had this conversation and um you know because you want to be able to relate you never want to you never want to the Bible talks about uh you know you need to take heed lest you fall as well and right. so you know, when I considered uh, um, 
you know, men and women that, that I thought about Saul and I kind of got where he was coming from because, you know, if Saul's not king uh, anymore, you know, that affects his fortunes and the fortunes of his family. And so there are men and women that they dedicate so much time and so much effort and so much money, um, you know, to, uh, to what they're doing, to the work in ministry. If that's taken away, it's going to impact them financially. Uh, it's going to impact them in so many different ways. And so I, 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 I am, um, I'm empathetic as someone who's in ministry, you know, I get how we make a lot of sacrifices uh, and there, um, there is that side of me that can understand why they would fight to hold on to it. Because in Saul's case, if Saul's not king, that affects his children. That affects his grandchildren. Um, he was a nobody before and he would go back to being a nobody. That part he got. You know, if you take this away from me, I got nothing. You know, so that part he got. It's just, you know, uh, where ministry is concerned, we have to remember you know, while we're doing it, we, we honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, I wanted to say that because I didn't want to give the impression that I can't relate to those men and women. I, I, I can relate. Uh, I probably couldn't have a little while ago, but that was one of the things that the Lord just began to share with me is that understand that that was, uh, that was not only his title, that was his livelihood. Yep. You know, and if you're, and if you're president of the company and the board of directors walks in on, on Friday and says, you don't have this job on Monday. Um, well, that's going to turn your world upside down. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Ooh. Well, let's see. I'm trying to respect time here. So I'm, uh, I'm going to ask one final question. Okay. And then, uh, because I promise as a plot twist, you get to ask me a few questions. Okay. Good, good. Put me in the hot seat. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I got one last question. So thinking about what just occurred with Kirk Franklin and his 33-year-old son, um, and his apology that he made. Um, one, do you think he should have apologized? And second, has your opinion of him changed at all? Um, I would say this. Um, you know, and 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 uh, he's someone else that the Lord has used. A lot of young people have been blessed through his ministry, and so uh, very often when I, again when I see men and women of faith struggling. You know, um, I always ask the Lord, what lesson can I learn from it? Um, I got to be honest with you. Um, this is very painful to watch what's what's taking place between him and his son. Um, mm -hmm. I am. Um, I am concerned that he felt the need to issue a public apology, public apology to the public. Um, mm -hmm. You know, even his son mentioned that he has not apologized to me. I don't necessarily know if if uh, if he needs to apologize to his son. Uh, I do know that his son uncovered him, so he went he went ham on him. Uh, yes, yeah, and so uh, I certainly cannot endorse that. I just think that you know, like the Bible says, First Peter four eight, love covers a multitude of sins, and um, I don't believe that it's it's appropriate for children. Uh, you know, to try to um, teach their parents a lesson. And, uh, I think that um, there's going to be dysfunction, you know, with any family. 
you're going to have disagreements about things. Uh, I don't know anything about this young man. Um, I just thought that, that, that it was very distasteful him recording uh, his dad and then releasing it. Um, and so um, if I'm having that conversation with my son, he, he's going to be getting anything but apology. So um, <laughs> <laughs> come on, keep it real. Son. Yeah. Yeah. Keep so he, real, yeah, you're not getting, you're, you're not going to get an apology for making our family look bad for uncovering us. Uh, um, and, um, you know, releasing that, that's a private family matter. Uh, so the son took it public and that's, that's inappropriate. So he wanted everyone to know this is not the guy that you think he is. And, um, I think that's ugly, you know, and, and, um, that's not really our concern, you know, what's taking place, uh, within their household. And so I, I, yeah, that part of it is, is distasteful. Um, and I will say this, and, 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 and I don't want to say this as a father, so I'm, I'm not taking a shot at Kirk Franklin. I don't want to criticize him. Um, but um, a, public, a, a public apology is about appearance. And you have, to, you have to set yourself free from what other people think of you. Amen. Yeah, that's you that, said, it, yeah, brother. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's for me. I was thinking, yeah, that's that's for my fans, for my followers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for the people that are following me on, on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Um, and I think you have to be, you have to set yourself free from those things. Uh, pub, a public apology, uh, I don't believe it was warranted, and um, you know. I will agree with the son from that standpoint. He said he apologized to the public. He didn't apologize to me. I don't think he needs to apologize to you, Joker. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, say it, sir. Yeah, but I, 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 I also don't believe he needed to apologize to the public. I believe that was just about that's about self-image, and um, you know we got to put that on the cross. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, you've been gracious. You've allowed me to throw some. Some uh, some solid ones at you. Yes, sir. What? You have turnabout. Turnabout is fair play. So I am now in the hot seat, sir. So uh, feel free to ask me anything. Uh, since you can't see me blush or see me sweat, <laughs> come on, come on with it, sir. Okay. So you know <laughs> we were talking about this. We saw a lot going on. I actually want to start with with uh, with COVID. So what are the lessons of COVID nineteen for the church, in particular within the United States? What are the lessons? Because there were a lot of things that were. There were systems that were disrupted and in some cases dismantled. So what are what are some of the lessons of COVID nineteen for the church? Spiritual actual. Yeah. Come on. Okay. Well, let me let me let me start with the softball. I'll okay. start with the, the actual. So obviously most churches were not prepared um to worship without the smoke machines and the jumbotrons and the ushers and the greeters. And um, and all the amenities uh, that people have come accustomed to when it comes to physical church. Um, and I think when it comes to safety, uh, everyone got a wake up call about what truly safe and what it means uh, to minister, which means to care for and do that without a building. Um, I think there was uh, some ministry opportunities when everything was shut down that were lost in some areas. Mm. And I think that the Lord purposed these things for those who call themselves leaders to get out there and lead. Um, but that's a whole nother hour. Uh, I'll leave it alone. Spiritually, 
spiritually, I believe that the Lord shut everything down to remind everybody who he is and what he was. Yeah. Um, and to remind people that he is expecting more of his holy Jerusalem, of his church. Um, I can tell you for me personally um, that my devotion became much more intense. My study became much more real. And as I read the, the Lord's word, I heard him clearly <laughs> and loudly uh, for 12 solid months, probably more so than in my entire life. Um, I think when it comes to church, it's hard for me to make a monolithic statement, but I think that um, a lot of houses of worship are really thinking about why they're doing what they're doing. Right. I think they really got to realize that it's about edification not, and not entertainment. Come on. I think worship does not require a worship leader. Uh, everybody is a worship leader because they're worshiping unto the Lord for themselves. It should not require a uh, personality or a talented person performing and calling that worship. Right. right. Um, but I, um, that's good. A lot of, things, that's a good. lot of things, a lot of things, brother George, so many things that came out of it. And I think the most important lesson the American church has got was uh, lament, mm -hmm. deep lament that the saints were not prepared because uh, there are a lot of, lessons and sermons given that nothing reminded them about storing up grain you know a lot of things have been missed a lot of basics were missed but in his grace in his grace there's opportunity to to follow him again so i think he's showing us a way out of it i'm just waiting to see if we do so hopefully i answered that no, that's good. I, I, you know, and I love the point you made about the worship leader. I just think we get mm -hmm. we, um, you know, how I feel about titles. So I think we just, have, you know, I'm I'm not a big fan of titles. Right. So, yeah. I mean, um, I need you to go go, um, you know, help cars park in the parking lot. You know, where I'm, am I the parking lot supervisor? No, you just parking cars in the parking lot. That's, that's it. Are. Come on. Yeah, that's all you are. Let's not get into titles. So I'm I'm not I'm not a big fan of that. That's what we get tripped up on. You know, nice. am I going to sit on the left or the right of Jesus? No, you just. I just need you to get to work. So come on. Um, <laughs> by the title. Yeah. Pow, pow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you and I, you know, I, we've talked about this before. And I think that in every arena, because very often um, it's communicated that we shouldn't be involved in, in, in one arena or, or the other. We've talked about activism and, and, um, and how, you, when, you, when you study the Bible, you realize there are quite a few activists in the Bible. The most notable one is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So uh, from your perspective, what are some of the challenges unique to Christians as we become more involved with social justice? First and foremost is that the whole redemption story, the whole gospel narrative is the Lord getting justice for his children uh, because there was a spiritual molestation that took place in the garden. Right. And so I think that uh, wholeheartedly, that we need to understand that social justice is about us picking up the mantle of things that are outside of the four walls of the church. I'm, I'm, I'm all about um, people expressing their voices and marches, and that's fantastic. But I think where we are lacking in the works part is engaging with those people in a personal way that come to our churches and pander for our right. votes, but won't take up, you know, their position to improve the system, the school systems or access to healthcare or things that really matter. 
You know, it's because you memorize a few verses and practice them before you walk in my building. Does not just support you. But social justice also cannot be limited in scope. If I'm worried about Black Lives Matter, and I do, what about the Latinx community at the border and all those children who are trying to find a better life or Asian American brothers and sisters who are being persecuted again? Uh, hashtag Japanese internment can't let me forget. Um, and, the, and the list goes on and on and on. So I think social justice starts with spiritual uh, revival. We really need to think about whose justice we're Amen. after. We, all politics is local and all faith is, is individual. So I think we need to look in the mirror first. And I'm giving you a non-specific answer because there's a lot of things I could say about this. But I think the biggest thing is courage. You are not an activist inside this. Come on. Wow. Mic drop. Mic drop. That's good, brother. That is I good. Mean, you know, wow. these curated messages inside the safety and security uh, of your church is not the bridge where the late, great John Lewis was stoned and beaten, just trying to walk across the bridge, get right to vote. And it took America seeing these men of God being beaten for simply walking to be convicted and lament and decide to take up arms, get in the fight. I don't think another walk in the bridge is necessary. There's enough blood being shed. When's the church going to wake up? So the church must have Amen. a voice. Amen. And I, and I think that's, you know, um, that last point, you know, about not being, a, you can't be an activist within the church, you know, and, um, you know, many of the atrocities that existed, I mean, during the Jim Crow era uh, is because uh, there were, you know, good men and women of God that believed that they, they that there was no place for them, that it wasn't appropriate for them to be involved. Uh, and then they saw um, police officers turning the hoses and dogs on little children. The entire Greco-Roman influence in the faith that we call Christendom but not Christianity is what led mm -hmm. to that. I mean, Jesus stood in the gap and said, these are human beings who deserve to be loved and cared for. And whether the church cares about their nation and origin or not, I still love them. I'm going to heal them. I'm going to feed them. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to cover them. And why aren't you? Right. If you know the law, then you should know me. And if you love the Lord, you should love me. But there is no love in you because look at what you're doing right, to my people. Right. And so that's, I I don't know how you try to separate church and state. We're supposed to go into the culture and change the right. state of things. Right. So That's good, brother. Let's talk about, about uh, a place that you're very familiar with, Baltimore, Maryland. Um, yeah. Ooh. So... Um, yeah, given the current state of Baltimore, Maryland, and 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 I ask this because, you know, uh, going back to last year, there are a lot of ministries uh, that had to close their doors uh, as a result right. of the pandemic, and I don't say this callously. Um, that may have been a good thing. Uh, yep. admit that may have been a good thing. Um, you know, the one of the things that our pastor says is that, you know, if if we close our doors, you know, and I'm paraphrasing him, you know, will the community miss us? You know, uh, and I think that that in some cases and as someone who, you know, had a ministry here locally, you know, uh, in this area, the last time I checked, there were 39 churches in this small little town. Um, and um, 
but even with all of those uh, churches, you know, we got one edifice after another. I mean, sometimes five or six, you know, in one little strip mall. Um, and you've got guys uh, um, that, but yet the drug problem and, you know, I, I, I don't want to get into this. Let me just, let me just ask you this. Where does effective outreach begin uh, for Baltimore? At the point of need, of true need. And that's an, it's a loaded question. So let's sure. start with fatherlessness. Everything that is wrong with the world is them not knowing who right. their father is. You know, there are no illegitimate children in the kingdom of God, and he's their father. But here's the thing. If you had no earthly father to relate to, it's hard to relate to Jesus. You don't know what it's like to be loved by a father if and you come to a church and you talk about our father, hallowed be thy name. If you've never been around the love of a father affirmed by a God-giving man who learns to affirm his children, you're going to feel a way about the church. And if every five steps there's another church, are we marketing or, or, or right. is it ministry? Right. And so if you all believe in the same things, why there's so many of you? Well, that's and good. so the that's problem good. is, the thing is, ministry is a messy business it is a messy dirty business and if we are clean all week long and on sunday we are not doing the lord's work the lord took his shirt off and washed his disciples feet because he knew the road ahead and he's preparing them for their next steps you know our eyes are are set in front of us so we don't look back but we still carry where we've been on our feet and then and on our flesh and how can we walk by the homeless drug addicts brothers out there hustling trying to feed their funds because they can't get a job you know um don't tell me about your prison ministry if you don't have a return to work program yeah. don't tell me don't tell me about how how gifted you are when you're afraid to go and break bread with the same people you say you love you can't pastor a air quote multi-ethnic church and afraid to walk the streets of baltimore city i'm sorry people smell your fear of them and therefore they're like am i not right. i think if we're going to minister we have to one do it without fear and without concern about what other people think jesus didn't give two Slices of unleavened bread, what people thought about him. He was about his father's business. He told his parents when he was 13, and he kept it moving until he died at 33. So my concern uh, for outreach is you are convicted and have a heart for something. What is it going to take you to act on that point of need? If you are a church in Aberdeen, Maryland, that is useless there, why are you in Aberdeen? Come on. Where, where do they need you? Yeah. Move your church to where the work is. You know. Yeah, and it, and it, it has I to mean, be. Yeah, that's so good. It has to be strategic. You know, it's got to be strategic. I, I, you know, the one thing that you said at the very beginning of that is just you meet. You know, it begins at the point of need. You know. Yeah. It is. Do you know the need right. of the people? You sitting at home all week trying to write up a sermon, <laughs> and the Lord's giving you sermons. The Lord's giving you sermons at six o'clock. <laughs> You know, he's giving you ministry at six o'clock yeah. coming the news. Yeah. What you what you carrying in the Bible for when he's Amen. showing it to you? You have babies having babies raising babies, and yet you don't know how to demonstrate 
uh, strategic fatherhood by simply being present, maybe volunteering at a school and helping these teachers, whereas mostly women are not men in the schoolhouses. So these young men are affirmed how to conduct themselves around women who are trying to teach them something. So what does that sound like? Wow, now I'm seeing a father and mother relationship in the schoolhouse where the father is firm with me, what a teacher trying to teach me how to act right. You know, so when I go home, that's been modeled for me. So I know how to respect my mother and other women because I saw it at my school. Maybe I don't have a father, but somebody's trying to father me in another way. You know, I, I mean, quit buying kids book bags, you know, and actually go and sit with them where they eat. Look at their environment. Thank you for the book bag, sir, but I don't have money. I don't have food right. to eat tonight. Right. You know, there's so many ways. And it's not the church's issue. It's it's the body's problem. Part of the body is hurting. We all know where that is. And we need to, on our own conviction, decide partner with other churches that are doing what you know you're called to be doing. And it should not care who had the idea right. first get involved yeah, if you got a heart for ap- activism and getting them streets you know if you got a heart for the elderly then go to the nursing homes if you know these young boys need fathers then go ask the teachers what can I do to help these young men you know them dads get out there be salt and light that's Baltimore that's New York that's Detroit that's Miami that's Houston that's Seattle Columbia, it doesn't matter. It's the same. No and I'll be transparent. So because um, raised by a single mom who, who raised uh, myself and, and um, my big sister, my knucklehead big brother, who I love, just kidding. And, uh, <laughs> and my bratty baby sister, also kidding, who I love. Um, you know, so I have I've always had a, a heart for single moms. Um, just because mm-hmm. uh, the bar uh, afraid that I don't know if they're still using it. The struggle is real. You know, I got an opportunity to see her. Yeah. You know, I just, you know, even the moments where she is knelt beside her bed praying and um, crying simultaneously. And so um, you, know, you don't you don't forget those images as a little boy growing up. And so, uh, yeah, to your point, yeah, I've I've, I've always uh, had a heart, you know, for for single moms. Same here, All right, single mother, you know, and uh, the scripture talks about we don't right. orphans. We all these spiritual orphans, you know, we get all these these spiritual widows. What is a man at home? But he's not a husband. Right. Come on. You know, yeah. you know, you've got these children, but they don't know who their father are. They don't know right. who they are. You know, know who you are in Christ. Starts know who you are in flesh because you have to make a decision right. for Christ. Christ knows you, but you don't know him because that's a choice. Who do, who's going to lead you there? And then what's going to keep you there? You know, we got a lot of runaways who come into church and they don't feel right because they don't, they look around the church and see families, they don't fit. And so they leave, you know, there's the point of need. These youth ministries should be looking at these youth who need love and support, not just a place to go eat pizza, you know, right. play games, get in their business. Love is intrusive. You got to bring spiritual violence to break these strongholds. Mm-hmm. That's right. right, brother. That's right. That's good, man. So, that's good. So, we're getting close <laughs> to the top of the hour, brother. So, uh, you got anything else? Just, for me? Uh, you know, it's always good to catch up with you. We are coming up on an hour. So, I want to respect, um, you know, the audience's time uh, and just let you know, just, uh, yeah, it's, 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 I just always so appreciate hanging out with you, man. And, um, 
you know, we, we, um, you know, I walk away and, and the fragrance of these conversations stays with me for days, bro. Ooh, I hear, well, brother, you blessed me. I just want to thank you for, uh, being on the inaugural episode of my podcast. I respect you, brother George. You know, you were there for me a lot of ways when I was there. And uh, I actually patterned myself uh, in my redemption story after you, you know. Yeah, the Lord may allow things to happen, but all that is part of your testimony. He's going to use it. And uh, I just think that uh, now the time for men to be real about this wall. And um, I think the Lord is showing more grace and mercy than we ever deserve, probably doubly so now. And so I don't want to be the one to last words. If you have mind, Brother George, if you bless us all sure. with a prayer to, to send us home. Father, we just thank you right now, God. And we recognize that the word has been given for that specific reason, Lord God. The podcast is aptly titled uh, Word for Your Walk, God. And really, God, as we as we walk with the word, and as we walk in the word, God, we we, Father God, we walk in the will of God. And your will is good for us, God. Your will, Lord God, is blessed, God. We understand that the will of God is good. It's good for us, God, as we embrace, God, uh, what you uh, purpose for each of us individually. And, Father God, for your vision, your vision for your body collectively, God. But it begins, Lord God, with embracing the word of God and understanding, Father, that, Lord God, there's a word for our walk, God, for each and every one of us, God. You said in your word, God, that your word's a lamp to our feet. It shows us where we are, and it's a light to our path, Lord God. It shows us, Lord God, uh, where you're leading us, God. And so we don't always see the conclusion, but we know, God, that as we continue to walk in the word, God, we know that um, the end, Lord God, is going to be better than the beginning. Uh, Father God, you, we know the thoughts that you have for us, God. The thoughts of good and not evil, God, and to give us an expected end, God. But we've got to trust, Lord God, in your word, what you're speaking to us, Lord God, what you're saying to us, Lord God, and understanding, Lord God, uh, that there is a word for our walk. Uh, there is a, a, a word for our walk, no matter uh, the time, no matter the occasion, Lord God, the word is appropriate, Lord God, for all seasons of our lives, God, we just thank you right now. We thank you, God, for just uh, your hand upon David, Lord God, and Lord God, this work, Lord God, we, we thank you, Father, for uh, just how you're moving through him, God. And we thank you. My prayer, God, is that it would, uh, the, the intention is that it would, it would stir up within each and every one of us, God, a greater passion, a greater desire for you, God. And we compliment each other, Lord God. I believe that you've called him to do specific things that you have not called me to do, but I believe that, that, uh, each of us, Lord God, as members of the same body, uh, can complement each other, God. Father God, I'm not going to try to be the hand. He won't try to be the foot, God. We're just going to be what you called us to be, Lord God. And we're going to grow where you planted us, God, and we'll complement each other. Uh, and I just thank you right now for, even as we said at the beginning, God, the work that you're doing uh, through him with young men and, and uh, with men of all ages. I uh, thank you, God, that sometimes there's a directness. Sometimes there's a frankness, God. Sometimes there's an in, in-your-faceness that, that men need. And I thank you, God, that uh, you've given him the boldness, God, to speak your word, God. Um, and we just thank you right now, Lord God, even, even for uh, continuing the work, Lord God. 
We give you the glory, Father. We give you the honor. We thank you, Lord God, for just what a wonderful, wonderful hour, God. Just a beautiful time of, of, of fellowship between us, God. And we love you. We give you the glory. We give you the honor, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you, Brother George, for giving me that time, Lord. And I thank everybody for listening. This has been Word for Your Walk. Until next time, peace.